All right. Welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack. And today we want to welcome you back to another roundtable. Um, this week, I have three distinguished guests. Yes, I said distinguished. <laughs> That's <laughs> irony, great. <laughs> yeah, we're not short on that. Um, anyway, uh, we welcome all my listeners, my, my bozo listeners out there. Um, today, we're going to be talking about something that has... Uh, some interesting controversy associated with it, and that's the harm reduction model when it comes to uh, treatment of addiction. Uh, but first, let's go around and take a moment and I'll have my, uh, my panel, distinguished panel, introduce themselves. Robert, would you like to start with the honors? Sure. My name is, uh, is Robert Simpson, and uh, I'm an addiction medicine doc in uh, Salt Lake City. And uh, treating folks with substance use disorders is uh, is my passion, and I'm um, excited to be here and hear about some harm reduction. Um, Perfect. Thanks, Robert. Great. Um, my name is Heather Bush. I work at the Utah Department of Health. So I've worked in public health for about 25 years. Started out in HIV prevention, then moved on to viral hepatitis, and then the past three years, I've been the syringe exchange program coordinator. So my whole career, I've um, implemented the harm reduction model as a prevention, as a disease prevention model, um, but now applying it, seeing how it applies to larger health for people who have. Um, who are actively using drugs, whether they're addicted or not. Mm. And, uh, <clears throat> and one of the things I think would be mm. good to talk about today as well, which we've talked a little bit about on some of the previous um, episodes of the roundtable, is the um, syringe exchange, but also um, the safe injection site um, model, which mm. is still obviously very controversial, but right. it is a harm reduction model as well. Mm-hmm. And I'd be glad... And love to hear what you guys' thoughts are on that. Sure. So Robert knows mine already, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, Tyler Hanson. I'm on the board of directors for the Harm Reduction Coalition, also the general manager at Steps Recovery Centers, and I'm a advanced use substance disorder counselor and seven and a half years clean off heroin and uh, woohoo! The uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's not easy. And uh, also the newest. Uh, uh, I guess CSW student at uh, Brigham, Un- Brigham Young University starting this fall. So wow. my, my life is full of entertaining dichotomies. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but grateful to be here, and thanks for having us. Oh, I'm so glad to have all of you guys here today. Thank you so much. Um, so let's, let's start off and just give, I guess, an overview and our thoughts about what harm reduction really means. And, 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 I mean, we can talk about it in so many different areas of of public health, but we're going to, we're focusing on something specific at this today, which is, you know, how it applies to addiction, recovery, sobriety, and, and public health concerns associated with that. So who, who would like to start and, and, and give kind of a, a background and overview of, of this? I mean, I can give the boring clinical um, public health view. Sure. Yeah, they're just by all means. <laughs> sure. Please, let's, let's get that. And we'll just jump in whenever we feel Please. like it. Please, yes. Yeah. 
Um, so, like I said, I learned about harm reduction in the late 90s in relation to HIV. I met um, someone from the harm reduction, the National Harm Reduction Coalition, and was brought out here for a conference, and I listened to her, and in a lot of ways it changed my life. Um, just the way that she talked about things, harm reduction is such a simple, basic concept yet it's so hard for people to wrap their head around. And I have a lot of feelings about why that is. Um, but really, if you want a definition, mm-hmm. even the harm reduction, the National Harm Reduction Coalition on their website says there is no one definition. But the way that I like to define it and that, that they and many other places have defined it is it's anything that helps reduce the harms associated with drug use. Okay. So that is huge that can be everything from social harms to legal harms to physical harms spiritual harms um and as we know um drug use and abuse has a lot of harms associated with it but another thing that i think sometimes makes it a little more palatable or understandable for people is when you do relate it to other types of activities so people get really caught up in the fact that drug use is illegal so then it just becomes a legal or a moral issue instead of looking at the larger mental health, spiritual, um, human issue. So when I remind them that seat belts are harm reduction, helmets, yeah. sunscreen, <laughs> vaccines, I mean, so many things that we do every day that reduce the harms associated with things that we like to do. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, something that we like to do is drive in a car, but it's also one of the most dangerous things that there is that we could possibly do. And But we do a lot of things to reduce the harms. Um, some people choose not to ever get in a car, but most of us have to at some point. And then most of us are able to drive around most every day and live a normal life because we've practiced harm reduction. Yeah. So when you kind of back up and associate that again back with drugs is looking at people are doing something that maybe they want to do, maybe they have to do because of physical or psychological addiction, and then talking to them about how they can reduce harms. And really the big piece about that is, and where I think a lot of people struggle also, is you're putting it in the hands of that person. Yes. You're saying, how can you reduce the harms Associated, I will help you. I can give you some tools. Mm-hmm. I can give you support. I can give you direction, referrals. But it's really up to you. And, and it really becomes an empowering exercise about how can I take some charge, even if it's something super little. We celebrate the small changes and the small um, victories. So even if it's something little of, um, I used less. Mm-hmm. I shared fewer times Mm -hmm. Um, but that builds on itself we all know how little mini successes build on itself. i I had less unprotected sex right which we notice or happens in this sex with fewer people is that actually true Hmm? is that actually true what that you had less unprotected sex (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah yeah Congratulations. Thank you. Thank it's you. it's probably true, Doc, that you should wear a helmet and a seatbelt when you drive. <laughs> I don't even know you, and I can surmise that, yeah. The double harm reduction method. <laughs> harm, harm re- <laughs> I suppose toilet paper is a harm reduction. Yeah. <laughs> harm reduction, too. <laughs> but Doc and I have had some fascinating conversations around antidepressants being 
harm reduction. Sure. Right. I mean, you can look at it across the board as this Absolutely. terrible thing, or you can look at it as this wonderful thing that we're having a little more empathy and a lot more love and, mm -hmm. and trying to help people. I was uh, had the opportunity to be in the Utah State Prison for two and a half years in the middle of my addictions. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you we had a pod of 50 men that um, – you know, there are more drugs and more access to drugs in the prison than uh, really on the streets. And we had Suboxone coming in in multiple ways, and they would get a diabetic to go through the diabetic line at pill line, mm -hmm. and he would get a needle, uh, and he would he would drop a, a plastic pen into the sharps container right. as opposed to the needle and keep that. And that needle, you guys, would be used by probably 200 individuals for as long as they for months and months and months okay. and right. you know one of the fascinating things about addiction i mean there's hiv and hep c and you know if you yep. look at the statistics 95 percent of everybody that goes to prison mm -hmm. will be released at one time i mean are we really wanting to and, and you're going to have a ton of people that are saying you know, you're you're curing the problem by them killing themselves, but in all actuality, these people are out and in society, yeah. and my friends and people. You're, I you're, you're not helping any though. Okay, so but you're not helping anyone in helping them kill themselves yes. because that it doesn't it doesn't deal with the systemic nature of the yes. problem. It's just looking right. at the symptom again. So. But unfortunately, I mean, I think people do have that view towards addiction yeah. in, in general you know it's sort of um you know in 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 medical school i can tell you uh i was taught absolutely nothing about addiction and there was always a sense whether it was somebody who had advanced lung disease from smoking or some disease um you know cirrhosis for example that well they did this to themselves right. mm -hmm. yeah. as opposed to the leukemic patient right um or the or the diabetic mm -hmm. you know what i mean and so many times well you know he he did this to himself so we're not gonna or you could can't i mean you can go across the board right yeah. and uh, oh we, we but with addicts it, it there's a lot of that stigma and a lot of that sure. feeling out there that and I, I'd heard that several times in the the prison from different people. They're just taking care of themselves in the long run, and it'll just, you know, they'll be dead, and it, it'll be just fine. Well, and your story really illustrates the <laughs> the thing with um, syringe exchange, which is a type of harm reduction, um, that people say, well, you don't give them needles because then that's encouraging them to use. And <sighs> your story illustrates how we all they had they were very clever mm -hmm. so they weren't given needles but they found a way to get one and um cause who knows how much damage um but people will find a way and if people have the addiction um they will find the way and so if we could wherever we can intervene and help them reduce the harm um, reducing the harm does not enable the drug use. The, the drug use is happening. Yeah. Um, and when I told you that I learned about harm reduction very early on, one of the things that that they said was, we can't go off based the way things we want things to be. Mm -hmm. We have to go based off the way things are. <laughs> so we could say we don't want people in our prisons using drugs, 
but they are. We don't want our kids having premarital sex, but they are. Um, and it's it's just it's interesting for me over the years of watching people just struggle with the people are doing things I don't want them to do. So we're going to try to control that instead of providing people with tools to then be able to make healthier choices, be able to um, empower themselves. It's just such an interesting thing of where we want to control, we want to punish, we want to shame, we want to otherize. And that somehow gives us power, makes us feel better. I don't understand it, but... Um, well, it doesn't work. It's kind of, yeah, and it's but it's very human nature, and I think it's one of my favorite things about harm reduction is that it just tells people you've been told that that you were bad, that you were illegal, that you were sh- ashamed, and mm-hmm. on the family you were all these things. We're not telling you any of those things. All we're saying is, how can we help you? Right. Right. End of story. No judgment, no stigma, no whatever. I mean, there's still boundaries. There's still respect. There's still um, ownership. Mm-hmm. But there's not um, that shame, guilt, fear, right. legal thing that hangs over it. And like I said, super simple. It's yeah. just a kind of it's letting go in a lot of ways. Well, don't, don't you think that, um, I mean, this this notion that... Um, it's actually creating more of a problem because it's the the reason why I think there's a um, the, the thoughts or the premise that um, you know having a, giving someone a needle from a harm reduction point of view is enabling them in some sure. way enable, enabling the drug addict um, or the abuser um, because it's making that it's easier for them to do. And the irrational part of that, of course, is that they're going to, as you were saying, they're going to f- find out a way to do it anyway. It's not necessarily that you're trying to stop them because we, we can't do that. I mean, that would be like, you know, I mean, literally, the the idea why the, the drug war hasn't worked is because you can't stop, you can't have a war against something that you can't control. Right. And I think that really fits, right. fits to your point. I know I've kind of jumped the political... Th- fence there a little bit but (laughs) it was just sitting there so but yeah that enabling thing is huge and um like i said my background's in hiv prevention so i used to work with um i was shuffling a little bit there (laughs) no there you go i was working with um young people and youth and it was always you know don't give them condoms or talk to them about sex because that encourages don't educate them about it they'll just do more of it and so you know that that background and that experience has really rolled over into when we talk about syringe exchange it's the same kind of thing now sure there's got to be an element and some sort of human nature that if these things are easier i know there's less harm i know that um i can go and get um clean equipment so you know where maybe i wouldn't have injected seven times a day because i only had one needle maybe maybe there's a little of that occasionally with the occasional person that's always going to happen there's always and there's always going to be jerks there's always gonna i mean there's a full range of people in every situation sure however the overwhelming um, example, and this has also been heavily researched, um, studied just for decades, um, that they just show that it actually providing people with 
harm reduction tools actually reduces drug use and people are four to five times more likely to go into treatment if they're involved in a syringe exchange program than they are if they're not. That's right. And, you know, I can't totally explain it. It's kind of magic in a way. I, it's I kind try. of magic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's the premise of my philosophy about this is that it gives them a connection and it gives yep. them a connection to the community. That's right. And mm-hmm. the numbers show us that when people have a connection to some to uh, to some kind of healthcare services, even in this form, that they have more of a tendency to trust it. Mm-hmm. And once they trust it, then they will. It'll open them up to the other pol- possibilities and the mm-hmm. other services that are offered within these programs. And you know that's why I also wanted to talk about SIS or you know um, safe injection sites too, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the same thing we're seeing. All, I mean, in the numbers, I've I've researched this, and where they have done those. Um, of course, so far they're not legal in this country, but they're you know we're we're getting some going anyway. But where they are being tested in, in some of other of the other countries, Canada and and Sweden and so on, Port, well Portugal of course is mm-hmm. pretty open with all of that. Um, mm-hmm. That the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, yes, disease rate goes down, um, especially sexually transmitted disease. Um, more protection um, with. Um, uh, people having sex because they're they have the more community resources available mm-hmm. to them unprotected sex um, more of them are going into treatment and the these this is research this is empirical data that shows us that th- these this works and so I guess what we know it works I mean and, the, and we understand mm-hmm. it we can all sit here and talk about it but how do how do we help people that that don't understand how it works get over the stigma that's been associated with this for so long that it's an enabling component do you think i think that's one of the more beautiful definitions of of what this is but even if you know instead of shooting up with some puddle water mm-hmm. in a mcdonald's or a maverick bathroom i had to go to a safe site in front of a dr robert simpson you know, with some nurses or somebody there that's been through part of the process to say, hey, you may not be done today, right. but when you are, we want to talk to you. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it, you may still be in this pain, is, uh, yeah. but, but the realization is let's talk about the pain when you want to. Yes. I mean, the, the, the people I think that, you know, we're talking about um, have been so disenfranchised through... Um, having um, demeaning experiences with um, medicine um, and so they've they they really have no place to go I mean if mm-hmm. yeah, there, there comes a point where we we all want to stop I went on for 28 years But we don't necessarily know where to go. Yeah. And you've become so disenfranchised and stigmatized by people who could potentially help that that's you know, um it's an enormous sort of risk to go there and mm-hmm. and be demeaned once again. And so I mean I think part of the harm reduction thing that's so critical is 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 that kind of human connection mm-hmm. unconditional acceptance and 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 positive reinforcement i mean neither addiction nor being a jerk is um 
improved upon with negative reinforcement. No. They, <laughs> they, they, uh, they just don't work. And so, you know, when I meet with new patients, and I'll, I'll work with patients for, for, you know, as long as it takes, who are, you know, recovery curious or... You know, kind of recovery in curious. I like that. <laughs> or in and out. Sober or curious. Recovery curious. Yeah. Curious. Yeah. I like that. So, uh, sober curious. Yeah. yeah. And and this sort of in and out, and they're on the fence, they're not quite sure. And, and you know, just building the relationship and the rapport that when that window opens, <laughs> they know that there's a place that they can go and say right i'm ready to get some help yes. like some of the um one of the outreach workers at the utah harm reduction coalition that tyler mentioned um she was telling me the other day because my focus at the health department is um drug user health harm reduction syringe exchange in general but I work in the HIV hepatitis program, so prevention program. So obviously that's a huge structure. And she said that they've had people that come in two, three times a week and have for over a year. And they say every time, do you want an HIV test? No. Do you want an HIV test? No. Every time. And then on the, you know, 75th visit, <laughs> they walk up and say, hey, can I get one of those HIV tests? Right. And... Um, that service is there and it's there when people are ready. And I think it is about, it's about building that trust and that connection. I like that you both said that because I know that Mindy, the executive director of the Utah Harm Reduction Coalition said to me once, she said the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Yeah. And that's the Johan, Johan Hari. Yes. Yes. That's where that came from. Yes. So the idea that, you know, it's about connections, about somebody cares and and the same thing with a syringe exchange or a safer consumption site. And I Mm -hmm. was going to say, we like to call them consumption sites because. Oh, what a a better way to put it. I'm going to change. I've been saying SIS for a long time. The reason is, is because people may not inject. They could go there and use marijuana if they wanted to. Um, well, but you don't need to go someplace. Sort of like, usually you don't need to. Sort but, of like a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, what's a bar but a safer consumption site for alcohol, right? right? It's safer Supposedly. than a, Well, that's true. Allegedly. Um, but there's not medical help there. But you're right. Someone, when they know that this is somebody who's going to keep an eye out on it, for them they can trust them and sometimes people have to come to syringe exchange or a safer consumption site several times before they realize that it's not you know it's not a trap it's not a bunch of hooey that people aren't gonna be abusive or mean to them because most people who are in that position have been through it you know they've been to prison they've been to jail they've been kicked out of hospitals they've been rejected from pharmacies they've been rejected from their families They've walked into an STD clinic. They've, you know, at many places and had um, bad experiences. But now this is a group that's there, like I said, just says, what can I do to help you? Um, and the other thing with the safer consumption sites, like you were all saying, is they don't, they, again, don't encourage drug use. Um, they are one of the best ways to reduce overdose 
Um, that is probably one of the biggest things. Yeah, people may with. overdose, but they don't die yeah. because there's somebody right there. Mm-hmm. But they're also given tools, just like at a syringe exchange. I mean, really, a safer consumption site is a syringe exchange where they're then allowed to use. And a, one of the big misconceptions is that people think that you're they're also providing the drugs. Safer consumption sites provide basically everything but the drug. The person must come in with their own drug. They may have the opportunity to test their drug. Um, but again, the the client or the patient or the um, hmm. user has to test their own drug because the staff isn't allowed to touch it. Yeah. Um, but they're given sterile equipment, information, um, they're observed. And um, I know the Safer Consumption Site in uh, Switzerland, that's one of the oldest in the world, they have never had an overdose death mm-hmm. in like 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um and no, and the number of people that actually enter treatment at that at that, that site is really remarkable. It's huge, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, they of course, like we were talking about a little bit earlier before we went on air. I guess we're not on air, but you know what I mean. <laughs> on tape, before we went on tape, um, we were talking about that there are some. It's not perfect. It's not, and it's also not the only thing. One of the criticisms that I've had since I'm in the position where since I'm the state coordinator, I get a lot of the flack from press legislators, um, you know, different critics and that's fine. That's my job. But one of the things that they're always saying is I think they want these immediate tangible results. Mm -hmm. They want like, you know, operation Rio Grande come in, let's clear people out. Um, that had a lot of benefits, but it also had a lot of um, bad to it as well. So I think when they look at <laughs> syringe exchange... Again, focusing on the symptom. Right, exactly. <laughs> when they look at syringe exchange, they're like, well, why aren't you... You know, we'll have HIV deaths gone down. And I said, we've been... This has been legal for three years. Um, but people were asking me this within three months of having our first syringe exchange open. And, and it's like, first of all, we don't have any resources to study that. Mm-hmm. We can speculate. Um, and, and look, it feeds into, you know, I, I run a, a, a little drug program in the Utah County Jail. And we have enough for 20 people. We have 10 men and 10 women. And literally, we have... Um, people that have been in and out of the system for years and years and years. And I met with a guy on Thursday that's 63 years old. He's been in and out of the system. He's got fines and fees Mm -hmm. from going to jail in excess of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then he's got three or four kids. And on top of that, um, he's got ORS stuff, uh, Office of Recovery Services for Child Support, that's in excess of Mm $30,000. I can't really tell him getting a $7 an hour job at Chick-fil-A and putting your head down and making it through everything with $2 a day is going to be all right. Mm-hmm. So until we take a more global look at the entire catastrophe that we're in, we're really taking people that are in pain and putting them in more pain. Exactly. Yeah. And that's part of harm reduction too, is how can we help a little bit with the system? How can we change the system to where it's not setting people up to fail? I think that it's this idea again of like, let's choke people mm-hmm. out Absolutely. and let's try to, if we keep incarcerating them, keep finding them, um, all these things. But then we say, we'll just get a job. Well, I can't get a job because 
either a it's not going to do me any good or <laughs> my wages will all be garnished yeah. right I make or, dollars an hour. Um, or b i now but you got yourself get a job. into this so no you're that's just gonna yeah, have to that's it that's pull it. your boots up by that's and it just exactly becomes it. a cycle and then we but we still blame the victim i think in a lot of ways yes sometimes we do things to get ourselves in trouble but you know you don't want a something that you did at one point to follow you for the rest of your life and that's again kind of the idea of harm reduction is it's it's a piece if we can help people maybe at least when they've got all that at least try to keep them from not getting hepatitis c on top of that um at least we could help them maybe have some tools on where to get some vaccines or where to get um you know some food or some legal advice or whatever at least we can maybe take a little off the top so it's really about when i was saying that legislators say well why aren't you solving the problems um (laughs) and you know syringe exchange is kind of to catch those people who've fallen through every single Mm -hmm. net and um try to reconnect them like you guys have mentioned reconnect them to society that is there i mean there are lots of services to help people but many people don't know or they've already been isolated like you said they either don't know where to go or they're embarrassed to go back Mm -hmm. i met so many people who said oh i've been through odyssey house five times if i go back there again i'm going to be so embarrassed my counselor's gonna you know whatever because that's all that internalized shame and um so but if we can help them say no they're they want you to come back they've got a spot for you you know, it's part mm-hmm. of the process, those types of things, and just those encouraging words to reconnect them to things that are in society. So syringe exchange or harm reduction isn't meant to solve every problem. It's just to say, to help people maybe get a little bit more confident, feel a little more connected, supported and loved, and be able to then connect back into those things to help them in the long run. Yeah. There was one thing that, that came up for me while you were um talking heather and that was the the part about um like someone who goes through a program five times uh, you know 10 times uh i had a gentleman recently i think 13 it was number 13 and um whether they've become institutionalized at this point is almost um not really the problem anymore uh, because the level of learned helplessness that's happened because of going through the system so many times Mm -hmm. and the level of shame that perpetuates that learned Mm -hmm. helplessness um i mean is is just remarkable and when and this is why i think harm reduction is i mean i'm coming back around again but this idea that harm reduction will actually help with one of the the primary problems it's not a symptom necessarily, but actually is a problem associated disenfranchised. And um, that helps with that, but also allows them to, to realize that this is one of the roots, core problems that people feel helpless, like they are worthless and have no power or control over anything in their lives. And the system itself can keep reperpetuating that. And so harm reduction, hopefully, by reconnecting them, can take them out of that. And I mean, it's, it won't, harm reduction itself won't do that. But it will give them an opportunity to connect with someone that can hopefully begin to help them reframe this irrational beliefs that they have about themselves and about the world and so on. But as long as we have systems that keep perpetuating those beliefs, we're going to it's this the systemic problem that we have will continue to perpetuate it. So and it's it's the Johan Hari 
you know, statement of only 20% of everybody that, that needs uh, substance abuse treatment in the United States can actually afford it or get it or have access to it. Well, that's right. true. And that's, so, that's, I mean, I think, you know, if, if, if we kind of really trace the problem back to its roots, people, you know, run into trouble with addiction either um, through the law or through uh, medicine. <laughs> and, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the criminal justice system is actually sort of waking up to this idea and beginning to offer people the opportunity to get treatment as opposed to incarceration. Um, and um, Or like Tyler said, get them both at the same treatment while they're incarcerated. Getting, you know, felonies reduced so that when they come out, they are able to get housing they're able to get employed their life has not been you know just ruined such that um there's really no path back that they can see but going even further back is is you know i think medicine is way behind the criminal justice system (laughs) in that you know when i see hospital records Mm -hmm from people who are sick with diseases that are directly related to uh, particularly intravenous drug use or alcohol or tobacco. Um, The discharge plan never includes treatment. You know, it's a list of medicines and coming back to the clinic. And the fact of the matter is that the root cause is not dealt with it's not even discussed and so we you know we have to educate our medical system um about looking at this really as a disease and and you know it's starting to happen i mean uh, at the university of utah um Beth Howell has done a wonderful job of of starting to incorporate that into the curriculum um, and telling people, look, there's strong genetic components, mm-hmm. there are strong environmental components, and when you add, you know, difficult childhood experiences and genetic loading exposure happens those people are much more likely to develop addictive behavior and so it it really does shift the perspective that that this is that this is not a moral failing it's it's a disease and mm-hmm. so and so let's start treating it like one yeah. well a, a lot of people don't like that idea too you know and which is is too bad that um using using a definition a medical definition to describe a condition like uh, like addiction um people get uncomfortable and i i know people on both sides of this i work with them you know we don't want to use that word and i and then and it's like i don't know what the fear is so much um except that there's a sort of an irrational belief maybe around it that right. well if you call it a disease then it gives somebody an excuse 
Right. And it's, it's that's profound. so that's so irrational because I mean I've used you know, I use the story in my own life that, you know, I, I have gout, right? But so what? Hmm. Um, you know, I can completely control it right. if I choose to right. with diet, exercise and lifestyle. Right. And when I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing, I don't have outbreaks. Right. But when if I eat a lot of acid, you know, foods and I'm not watching my alkaline, I'm getting a lot of inflammation. Chances are I'm going to have a little more buildup of uric acid, which well, causes we gout. we run into our humanness and then problems occur, right? But, right. but it doesn't mean that we're, you know, morally bankrupt. It, exactly. It just means that we're human and uh, and we need some help. And, and I know uh, Johan... And I talked to him at one point, and I said, "You know, I, I actually I really love your idea about the, you know, connection as opposed to sobriety." But the problem is, who the fuck do you think wants to connect with us by the time we're finished? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the, the answer is everyone's bloody tired of us, right? Yeah. And uh, we got no dough. And everyone's tired of supporting, you know, um, the seventh round of treatment. <laughs> and I don't want to get off on my treatment thing. But <laughs> but the fact of the matter is our treatment system is horribly broken. It is. It's completely upside down. I have people who've been to treatment seven times and I can't get a single medical record. And And that's disgraceful. Um, in any other area of medicine, that would be malpractice. Exactly. But it's acceptable in 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 this industry, mm-hmm. and part of kind of helping before people become so disenfranchised that needle exchange is the only answer that that they can find is to is to have this thing become a profession and not an industry yeah yeah that's Um, a great way of putting it have people have access to care through clinics um that are affordable many people have things in their lives to build on um you know stanton peel wrote about this 25 years ago right. seizing of America this, this is not a this, new idea this is not a, it's just been ignored it's been ignored <laughs> in fact <laughs> it's metastasized and, and, and that's what I mean I I can feel my my passion coming up <laughs> I love it fence jumper go on run boy yeah run run shuffling along <laughs> um, <laughs> No, but it's true, and and the model because it's become yeah okay. I mean, it, because it's become a bit of a revolving door, right? And um, it also has a semi lucrative business side to it, um, and for some, right? Um, it's difficult. I mean, it. I, I won't. I want to say the, the. It's not the system itself that is really the, the systemic problem. Probably mm-hmm. in some ways, because there are great programs out there. There and are. There are some great models, and, and there systems. are people who need that level of care. Yeah. I mean, when I finally stopped, I mean, I needed to be sequestered 
somewhere. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the three of us in I mean, here work in that in that system right now. I mean, you know, Heather's on the front lines in a completely different area, right? But it's still all it's still all interrelated. We're not, you know, we're interdependent upon each other. Yeah. In some ways, or you know, in some ways. And we're upside down. We're we're starting with residential treatment for all, and then there's this kind of trickle down effect unfortunately there's there's really uh, a dramatic lack of resources out there for mm-hmm. for patients with addictive disorders well this is interesting because you guys are making me think of one of our biggest challenges from the very beginning with syringe exchange so the law passed three years ago so may of well it was signed into law may of 2016 and um that law, pretty simple, just said that people need to get clean needles. They need to have ways to dispose of used ones. Um, they had to provide three referrals with every exchange, which was referral to HIV hep C testing, oh. referral to overdose prevention right. and or naloxone, and referral to substance abuse treatment. Mm-hmm. And then, great. So that's so that's showing that it's not just about the syringe. It's about providing referrals, providing right. support, and and I'm glad that that's in the law because that's a big piece. However, it really illustrates the idea of that treatment is one thing, um, and that it's a one-time thing, right. and that it's a solve the whole problem thing. So when I was saying that I get a lot of pushback on, well, why haven't why haven't you solved the problem by now? Um, one of the big things is, well, how many people are you referring to treatment? Well, first of all, there's, as we all know, there's hundreds of reasons why people do or do not go to treatment. It could be they don't have access, they can't afford it, they're not ready, they don't have support, they would lose their job, they, um, you know, there's a million reasons why people don't go to treatment. That is a piece right there that we can't conquer in one fell swoop. The other thing is, is (laughs) that treatment isn't one thing, right? Some people for treatment, it's long-term residential intensive treatment um, at a facility that where you need to be sequestered um some people i'm gonna start using that word yeah i like that too so did you know you're sequestered sequestered some feel much better about that you know (laughs) syringe exchange in of itself is a form of treatment if people are using less if they're getting support if they're getting education um so Treatment and recovery, so lots of times we like to say recovery services because it means so many different things. And also part of the concept of harm reduction is is that it's not prescriptive in what that means. Mm -hmm. So somebody, um, harm reduction is any reducing of harm. That could mean reducing of drug use. Mm -hmm. And if people are ready for treatment, reducing of use may be the only harm they need. It may be harm reduction that they need it may be well i'm going to stop using meth but i'm still going to use pot and alcohol or 
um, whatever that is, or I'm going to use less, any of those things are okay, all the way to complete abstinence, which is part of harm reduction. A lot of people think that harm reduction and abstinence are opposite. No. But so again, so this goes back to the whole idea that treatment isn't one thing and it's not the answer. So just referring somebody to treatment and that's so the naivety when I hear people say, well, did you refer them to treatment? Well, yes. And so then it turns into that moral failing of, well, they didn't go to treatment, so they're bad. Or you're obviously not doing these referrals correctly. And it's trying to explain to them the systematic problems of access of all the mental, psychological, socioeconomic issues on why people don't go to treatment, um, let alone that treatment means many things, is really hard for people to wrap their heads around. And and the the same part of you went to treatment and smoked a cigarette five years ago, and so we kicked you out, and and good luck to you. You just didn't want it bad enough, and and you didn't. And and the trouble, too, is I think we've come to use the terms sobriety and recovery as as synonyms and and in fact they're not especially with abstinence yes mm-hmm. you because, know and I I, I, I I don't want to speak for you but i um in my private practice i work with a number of people that are they have their foot in multiple worlds right and um that uh, that to me for me to judge them under one way of looking at at recovery model being that it's 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 abstinence i'm, I'm not being of service or helping these people right. I, in fact if if i say that you know for them to be in recovery they have to they have to be abstinent basically they won't come back in the door right. so they will stop getting help because i've disconnected from them because i've said that this this there's one model way to look at abstinence Absolutely. one way to look at recovery and that's right. abstinence and it's not right and and you know that which brings up the whole other piece which is mats you know right um, and um yeah you know, i have lots of thoughts treatment too so no and and i have a little brother that that passed away from a heroin addiction and the amount of shame and guilt that he lived with um when he was addicted to marijuana mm-hmm. and and he very easily i think to this day had everybody left him alone could have smoked marijuana and still been here you know, but but because of the culture we live in, and because right. of some societal norms, because abstinence and recovery, we've and you know we've yeah. we've associated it to one hundred percent sobriety. Yeah. I, th- I think the shame and the guilt with yeah. the other model of you know I would give anything to have him here today sure. and smoking sure. weed and happy and you know who, who cares? <laughs> right. Well, that, that's a great a great point. I mean, about that, it's like what is what does recovery mean and and what is um you know personal sobriety mean and to judge it under you know one lens is is part of the the problem that we we all deal with we and, all we all and that's again i know i keep harping on this but the term harm reduction that's what it's about reducing harm right. it's not an absolute mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not an all time cuz none of us are good at I mean, I didn't wear my seatbelt driving to the store today, but I usually wear my seatbelt all the time. Does that mean that I failed at seatbelt wearing? No. <laughs> I I mean, thank goodness I didn't get in an accident in that two mm-hmm. blocks, but um, I own that. And I think there's it's just this idea of perfection or absolutism or right. this black and white that we impose on ourselves in our society, not just people who use drugs, but you know, it's just something that's out there. Um, and it's this 
lack of forgiveness for ourselves or anybody else for being anything other than perfect all of the time, right. even the it's but it's like this big joke because we all know that doesn't make any sense. We all know that's not realistic, right. yet our society still is so hung up on that that if you're not an absolute, then you're nothing. It's like all the way to the other side. Right. Well, this is it's the scorekeeping concept, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, and that's that's what that's what happens. Um, when you know you know you, you have a date right that says you know this is when i stopped yeah. this drug or i stopped that drug or i stopped all drugs and you know i i i used to play that game in my head about about that for a long time and i finally just kind of went well I, i'm just going to use the date i quit smoking <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then i just dropped that all together right. <laughs> and said you know none of that really matters yeah. in fact no, it really doesn't and what scorekeeping does is it it uh, some people get I mean, it can be helpful it can be a helpful tool mm-hmm. I'm, i don't want to say that you know don't don't count the days and don't celebrate that i mean and do celebrate that because it's an important thing to do but don't judge yourself or anyone else based upon that right, right. because it, it often just then reinforces some of the so main true. principles of the patterns that you know bring on shame i, I was in a i like tyler i've uh, enjoyed a, a period of grace from using um and have been have been abstinent and, and and sober through that um and i was at an aa meeting this morning um <laughs> and i had a bit of a rant about you know i i went to aa for years fucked up <laughs> telling everybody i wasn't getting chips you know chairing meetings uh, you know, speaking all of these wisdoms, right? And um, I love you, Robert. And the fact, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, you know, what was important was they kept coming back, and and the, I'll bet that in that room this morning, you know, there were four or five people who were intoxicated in mm-hmm. one way or another, and and they are welcome to be there as long as there's a desire to stop and I, I sort of hate the day counting because you know there's 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 a use and then someone's a newcomer again and I mean I, I'm a huge AA fan in terms of the philosophy mm-hmm. the dogma as it's practiced drives me absolutely <laughs> nuts <laughs> Because it's oh, most dogma. There's so much kind of, <laughs> there's so much hidden shame in, in, in yes. you know these rituals of. Well, well it shows that there's, there's not one size fits all, and yeah. that you know in most things in life we take little pieces from here and little pieces from here, and we find kind of what works for us. But I think that lots of times we again we don't apply these same rules to people who use drugs or alcohol. We think, oh you should be able to fit into this one thing and that should work for you. And if you just stick with it and you're just try hard enough, then you'll, then you'll make that work. But I think the most, the people who are the most successful with AA or some other programs are those who are able to adapt it and make it work for them and work within the system, um, 
to a way that it works for them. And I think that harm reduction is really good about that. It's about saying, what do you need? And you do need to do it. You need to figure this out, but you can take those pieces. That's okay. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to count these things. But if having a date, if counting days helps you, then let's do that. Um, So just really giving that permission. Let's be careful if you hit a bump in the road that you don't turn the loss of days into shame and failure. That's exactly it. And this is the difference between sobriety and recovery is that, you know, when I see a new guy or new patient, you know, I say, look, our number one goal today is that you don't die before your next appointment. So let's start there. And we make sure that they have a naloxone rescue kit and we try to kind of tie them in with some. And Doc, there's so much love and care. And I mean, there's your Hippocratic Oath. I mean, there's the, hey, let's lower the bar. Right. We love you. Let's see you Tuesday. Yeah. You know? And even if it's a total shit show between yeah, now and then, Tuesday, man. just come back. Yeah. I'll give right? you a hug and we'll try it again. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll get it. Yeah. If, if you'll keep coming back, I promise you. I'm not going to give up. So if you don't, we'll get it. Well, and that's one thing too with syringe exchanges. So they're given a certain amount of syringes. Um, The law doesn't really say what that needs to be. Um, It's not a one-for-one exchange. A lot of people, I do have a point related to what you're saying. Um, (laughs) A lot of people think that it's, you know, literally an exchange. You bring in a needle, I give you a needle. (laughs) It's not quite that exact, but we do limit it to a point. Um, But we also find that most people don't want to carry around hundreds of needles with them. Some people, (laughs) it could be, um, it could be, hey, I'm not going to. a really bad thought, and I'm just really a terrible human being. I just want to just say that out loud. It's fine. Sorry. Um, Some people, it could be, well, I'm not going to have access for to a syringe exchange for three weeks. I need approximately this many syringes to get me through, but we give them a sharps container and usually they bring them back. Right. Um, but what we do like is partially one of the reasons I think that having, giving someone 20, 40, 60 syringes at a time is then they do come back and then they have like, okay, so next Tuesday, I'm going to come back and I can be there. And yeah, maybe that weekend was a shit show, but I know that I can go there on Tuesday. I'm going to get my syringes and I'm going to have a chance to kind of start over and a chance to refresh and look at those things. And when we think about it is again, relating it back to things that in everybody's everyday life, it's so you're on a diet, but you have a cupcake. Does that mean that your last three (laughs) weeks of eating salad are out the window no that's it doesn't work that way and we gotta we gotta give ourselves love for those kinds of things as well and i think um that that is really helping to find those ways and that's why i think it is important to part of any recovery program should be um what do you do when you relapse (laughs) or here's how to um approach this if and when you relapse, we hope you don't. 
but here are some tools. Um, for years, I would do HIV education in treatment facilities, and they'd say, well, don't tell them how to clean their needles. This is before we had the legal syringe exchange. Don't tell them how to clean their needles because that's saying that they will use needles again. So I always approached it from, well, here's some information you can give to your friends who are still using. Um, because that's what they would let me say. But the way it always was, was just again, like the teenager that you give them a condom, you say, I don't want you to have sex. But if you do, I want you to have the information to be safe. And they have found that that psychological trick is more likely to keep people from engaging in unsafe mm. behaviors rather than if you tell them just not to do it. So the same idea of, you know, yes, this is what relapse can look like. These are some of the dangers. But if, if we talk to people about using a clean needle, having the naloxone handy, understanding that your tolerance has dropped, um, mm. you know, some of the tools that you can use may help them not only hopefully not relapse, but if they do, hopefully then not have any long-term effects. I tested this woman, this is a story I often tell, I tested this woman at a treatment facility for hepatitis C. She was negative. I then tested her. I saw her again. This often happens. I see people around because they move through the circuit. Heard that stuff. I was then in Salt Lake County Jail doing testing for hep C. Saw the same woman. It was about four months apart. This time she tested positive. And she told me that she left treatment. She was doing well. She went out. She used one time shared one needle with one person and then she got arrested so she had a super short relapse um was arrested so now she's dealing with she was arrested now she has hepatitis c and thank goodness she didn't overdose um because of that one little relapse and we didn't you know um so she's dealing with more than just the relapse. She's now dealing with all these other things. The, the and so the medical pieces. Yeah. So how can, too. so how can we kind of educate again, based on the way things are, not the way we want things want to be and try to help people have some of those tools, know where to get those tools. And that may help them reduce their risk in the long run, or um, it may keep them from, it may be part of what keeps them from relapsing because they're like, I don't want to do that. Or now I know that if I go back out and use, I know the dangers now. I didn't know that before. And not in a shameful way or in a blaming way, but any tools that we can give people to feel like they have a little bit more control, like we've said before, I think that that's only helpful. So we really do encourage harm reduction in treatment facilities even if it's even if they're an absence-based treatment facility to talk about what to do and ways to keep yourself safe and it may be information for your friends um, are there any non-absence-based treatment facilities um there's <laughs> a new one that's opened in, up I, I inpatient no do you want to tell them about utah harm reduction coalition's Go ahead. Treatment? wait i wanted to tell quickly just sure. to i wanted to tell us 
I'm going to say something. I don't want to blow you a cover. Go ahead. No, blow it. Is it going? Yeah. So, I mean, Steps has long been uh, an abstinence-based mm-hmm. facility. And um, Tyler and I struck up a relationship and, and I think both have very similar feelings about about recovery. And um, I would get somebody who had insurance such that they could go to Steps. And I'd call up Tyler and say... I've got a fellow who's struggling with uh, meth. He hasn't shot heroin in a year. He's on buprenorphine, and I'd like him to stay on it. Can you make that work? And every time I've done it, the answer's been yes. Well, I, I, we have incredible owners, but but we've had to educate. You know, I got my substance use disorder counseling degree and had a supervisor uh, named Corey uh, Dennis, who's a PhD at BYU. And between him and and Dr. Simpson, just being great friends, I've 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 had to educate myself. And we're from, you know, not to blow your cover either, but a different model from an an AA model where yeah. if you're in an alcoholic meeting and you say you're a drug addict, they right. ask you to leave. I mean there's there's it's it's a strange you know the, that yeah. in recovery are strange bedfellows to say the Absolutely. least so you know personal experience i have been in and out of er's with abscesses on my arms and and shooting up from puddles of mud and the out you know and been homeless and i can't tell you the amount of shame you you go in with and i can't tell you the lack of care from an er doc that says you know Good luck to you. And I remember he, he asked one, one time in one of the ERs, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to kill myself. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in a bad spot. And I was out on the street 30 right. minutes later. And there was no resources. There was nothing going on. And right. He'd stitched me up and given me something for my fever. and Probably no Novocaine. Not no Novocaine. And, right. and Get the special junkie and treatment. You, you can't imagine how hard i went out and used after that absolutely it's just it's just crazy it is well and that really really speaks to the whole disconnection piece right because instead of being welcome into the system and and getting a a, a menagerie of different kinds of treatment Mm -hmm. options at that point if you're if you 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 basically threaten suicide and and no nobody puts you put you upstairs so to speak you know which would have been the first step yeah and only being a counselor on this side i've now realized that that was probably a horrible idea yeah but well yeah it was actually it was you know I mean, there, there are actually great models in this country. Rhode Island, a uh, fellow by the name of D'Anafrio, um where emergency rooms who will see folks who are, um, have opiate use disorder mm-hmm. will hold them until they're withdrawing enough and then dose them with you. And then hook them up with a community clinic to continue care. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a quantum leap, right? Yeah. I think that's the model we're we're talking about, though. Getting to right, right. Well, it's getting really, to a place it's cheaper like, in the long run. Like, I mean, yeah. our idea of what we're doing now of um, let's arrest people, let's you know complain about the homeless problem, complain about the criminal problem, let's complain about the drug use and overdose problem. Um, but then, 
we're not willing to put our money where our mouth is. Um, again, syringe exchange program. Let's syringe exchange. It's a great idea. We're going to stop all these HIV and Hep C infections. We're going to do all this stuff. Do you know how much money we got to do that? Zero. Mm -hmm. The only reason we have a syringe exchange program is because other programs stepped up and were able to provide funding for that. But again, like I said, they're still largely volunteer, really grassroots based, which is great because you get that rapport, you get down to the people. That's awesome. But if we can't, people can't afford treatment, if people can't get the medical care and help they need, and if they're basically thrown back out on the streets or just arrested, then we're going nowhere. And But all of that costs money, too. We're going backwards. And, and yeah, treating somebody for abscesses and treating and putting them up in the jail costs money, too. Yeah. And, well, and it's just going to be that but, revolving door. But I, I, I don't disagree with that. In fact, I think it even actually may strengthen the, the point that um, incarceration doesn't work, um, and that the money spent on ca- incarceration would probably better be spent on some type of treatment or intervention. Well, unfortunately, and, a, a lot of it's you know, a lot of it is uh, privately owned. And, kids farmed and, out, and, and, <laughs> and there are stockholders who would be very upset if the um, if the jails weren't full enough because they're stock prices would but drop. Here, but here it goes back to and 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 your care doc of of my idea as a substance abuse counselor i'm going to take you in a dark room we're going to talk about your problems and you're going to leave and everything is going to be wonderful right. it's just not yep. the case you're spending doc an hour an hour and a half with these clients doing this incredible care, telling your yeah, story. Yeah, by the way, that's real. That, it is a real. <laughs> it's not the seven minutes? Is it seven and a half minutes? I can't remember <laughs> what it, it was. Yeah, no, they, me- they, measured the, uh, they measured the length of the average doctor visit, and it was, it was seven yeah. minutes. I think, you, I think you're slightly above that. More importantly, <laughs> the, uh, the time between the patient entering the room and the doctor interrupting them... <laughs> <laughs> was something on the order of 25 seconds. Yes. <laughs> oh, by the way. <laughs> right. Um, what's the, that's the copay for my kids. If I take them, I have to tell them about one problem. If I tell them about two, then it's an extra extra bit of time. Oh, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. And another right. copay. And another copay, yeah. But that uh, that amount of care, Doc, is is phenomenal. Yet how many... Dr. Simpsons, do we have out there? And how many, you know, how much access to treatment do you really have? And how many times do you have somebody that's really struggling when the doc comes in and says, "Hey, you'll be okay." Uh, you know, the thing is, though, it doesn't. It doesn't need to be that the doc. I mean, I I am blessed with right. a, a staff at, at my at, uh, at at our practice that every single person who is on our staff will stop and spend time with the patient. Mm-hmm. I mean, and people say from the moment of court, and I'm not trying to promote the you know business thing, but from the moment the phone was answered, it was a different experience. Well, it's about that connection, and that's what we're saying about like syringe exchanges. Every time somebody comes in, they have a connection with somebody who's nice to them. It may be seven minutes or less, but it's it's kind of that quality as well um, 
that when you do feel connected and cared for and listened to, right. um, or know that next time you come back, you're going to get that same level mm-hmm. of care and connection and support, even if they don't have a lot of time to spend with you, or even if you don't want to spend a lot of time, you know that you can get that when you need it. And isn't that all what, what we all want? I mean, not to sound cheesy and whatever, but that's what we all want is we want to be heard. We want to be loved. And we just want to know that we can, we can mess up and people are still going to be safe, there for us. The, safe yeah. place. the safety. Where we yeah. can connect and belong, feel like we belong somewhere. Yeah. So, I, by so all means. Just out of interest. I mean, sure. where, where do, where do your needle exchange, um, do you have a do you have a set office? I was sort of looking on the website, and it it looked as though you did different places and mm-hmm. different days. And um, I, I'm really interested in, in 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 what would be helpful. Yeah, how do people uh, utilize sure. your services? Yeah, sure. how, how do people find you? What would be useful to kind of have there as supports? So. Um, Syringe Exchange in Utah, again, it's in its infancy. Um, We have three agencies who currently provide syringes, um, and they all have a little bit different models. Um, So we have the Utah AIDS Foundation that they do syringe exchange out of their building um, for their clients. So basically anybody who comes in for test site or anybody who comes in for their HIV positive services can be treated. Um, given syringe exchange services there. So that's kind of a brick and mortar example. Um, Then we have One Voice Recovery, which they have an office, which is um, right next to Utah AIDS Foundation, ironically. But they have an office and they do have drop-in hours, but they have a delivery model. So they... um, people call that was kind of like uber eats <laughs> you know <laughs> people call them and they say we need syringes oh, nice. so they go out <laughs> dark web bag of ribs yeah. Yeah, have it all delivered to the house <laughs> so um but <laughs> they also do testing and services are, so they c- kind of take it to where people are literally um and then the utah harm reduction coalition they have i <laughs> what i've come up with come to call the food truck model um it's an outreach mobile model whereas you know like with a food truck it's it's at a certain place on a certain time on a certain day um they show up they open up they have an old converted ambulance mm-hmm. um and they perform services and then you know they're there for a couple hours and then they leave so um there is some exchange in salt lake city um Monday through Saturday, and um, our different agencies also do services in Tooele, Weber, and Carbon counties. Um, Tooele and Carbon are mostly delivery. Um, in Weber and Ogden, they um, operate actually out of a treatment facility. No, it's a home homeless i don't know i don't remember the place anyway so there's different models which is great again because there are different ways to access Mm -hmm. it different ways that make sense some people may be like i'm not going down to um downtown off the rio grande to get my i'm not going down there that's not my thing Mm -hmm. or that's too far away or i don't have a car or i just don't want to be there other people like i want to go there because it is kind of an anonymous out of the way place um, other people say, well, I want to go to a building or I want to have somebody come to me. And that really 
so I really like that even with our small um, our small group of providers, we have a lot of options. Some place like New Mexico that's been doing syringe exchange for over 20 years, they have over 60 sites throughout the site throughout the state, and they're all different. Some of them are in medical clinics, some of them are homeless clinics, some of them are um, in health departments, some of them are in um, LGBT agencies, some of them are um, delivery or mobile um, outreach. So there's it's all those different models. So our hope over time is that we will have a lot more agencies, not just in Salt Lake, but throughout the state and in different models that work for the people in those areas. What what about like utilizing the FQHCs, like 4th Street Clinic, Midtown? um, (laughs) Well, right now they're great partners as far as referrals. Um, The Utah Harm Reduction Coalition does once a week um, do syringe exchange out of 4th Street Clinic, so they give them a space, but it's not through 4th Street Clinic. There's still a lot of, I think, fear Fear of being associated with it, even if people on the ground are supportive, their boards may be a little more nervous, nervous they're going to lose funders, nervous they're going to lose um, their FQHC status, things like that. that. People are going to die. Yeah, exactly. But so we've still got a well, long, long that. ways to go. But yeah, people but are already dying. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's what that's what harm reduction's about, right? Right. right. I mean, so I mean, I mean, it seems ludicrous that that there's that there's funding for these clinics that presumably comes through the health department. Uh, Some. And yet, there's really no. Well, the the realization is you have harm reduction with Mindy Vincent, who's been on the ground floor of all this stuff. But even with the funding that they they do have, they're providing some brick-and-mortar stuff and some other stuff. If you go on Facebook, you can see kind of the schedules of where things will be and why. And she has her own outpatient clinic as well. Um, where people get some treatment through there. But that really is is funded pretty much through her. And there's not a lot of outside funding. And we've we've been able to fund um, two of those three agencies, mainly through HIV funds. (laughs) Um, And... Which makes sense, actually. Which makes sense. Yeah, sure. But it's only part of the puzzle. We've just recently gotten some overdo- opioid overdose funding. Um, they're starting to realize that the best way to reach people who are actively using with overdose prevention and naloxone is through a syringe exchange. So we're kind of starting to get some. And also the best way, you know, as we said, more, people are more likely to enter treatment if they're involved in a syringe exchange. Sure. So they're starting to recognize that. But it's really interesting um, that even with people who really buy into the idea, mm-hmm. they still kind kind of see it as that's that other thing. That's that clean needle place. Um, and I've had people who are very smart, very high up, very on board say to me, well, no, we're about this, not about disease prevention. And I'm like, that's the thing about syringe exchange and harm reduction. It's about all of it. And the more that we can incorporate into different types of facilities, and I have a lot wait, of places. Wait, wait, wait! Hang on, just, just sure. Just, Sorry, um, humor me for just a moment. No problem. Based on what you just said, I'm like, my mind just exploded slightly. I heard Sorry. it. I heard that happen. Okay, yeah. So we're because <laughs> we're not so... into disease prevention. 
Right. Oh yeah, no, it's somebody. They literally, compartmentalize. Yeah, the overdose prevention but, and disease prevention are different. But things. aren't they? Aren't we? This, <laughs> yeah. Isn't all this the same? No, it's I mean, right. which is why I've really been pushing. Um, through the public health model of talking about drug user health. And drug user health involves communicable disease transmission, overdose prevention, um, any type of harm reduction. Of course, of course. But so to avoid that very thing that you were just saying is because people do tend to compartmentalize. There's also this thing of, well, we got people who are on prescription opioids and then those druggies. Mm. Oh, junkies! Yeah, yeah, or junkies, right? right. Then we have people who use, (laughs) yeah, people who use meth are different. People who use alcohol are different. So (laughs) we're trying to not compartmentalize and say anyone who was using substances, yeah, how can we help them have better health outcomes, whatever that means? Um, And that's it's just real hard because they either want to prevent people from using, or they want to get them off from using. But talking about health. And comprehensive health for people who were actively using drugs of any kind in any amount, whether they're addicted or not, is super uncomfortable for people. So this is what I just keep pushing is it's all the same thing. And again, providing those services to people who need them in a way they need them. Comfort is overrated. (laughs) So are we talking about. Um, people on the county level, people on the state level, every level. This is my my job. I I was uh, telling Mindy, the director of the Utah Harm Reduction Coalition, this the other day. I said, I, my job every day is to try to push back against a lot of these ideas. And and that's why I was really glad to come on this podcast to start talking about Mm. these ideas and these concepts. And people are starting to come around. I've had people call me who said, you know. I went to your training. We do a two-day harm reduction training. I went to your training. I've been in a million of your meetings and your things, and just one day it hit me. I finally get it. We want to get syringe exchange in our area. This was somebody in Vernal. And I said, great. What can I do to help you? But then this is the problem. But I don't have any money. Right. I don't have any money to help you. I can give you ideas. I can give you resources. I can maybe scrounge you up some condoms, maybe some sharps containers, but you have to figure this out. And so really getting to people to say, yeah, we get it. We get the idea. We want to do it. We can maybe even get this past our board of directors, but now what now getting those resources. So it takes a long time and you need somebody like Mindy, who's just out there saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to find a way to do this. But most people are very afraid of, it's, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to put themselves out there. And Mindy funded the program for almost a year before we were able to get her some funding to support it. Um, so there's really, it's pa- passion, dedication, understanding. But one of the things that I've been trying to explain to people too is you can kind of do the Utah AIDS Foundation model where they just kind of incorporate it into their services and it really doesn't cost them that much. It's a little additional training, right. which I provide for free. It's a little additional supplies, and they're able to, through their test site especially, able to help a lot of people who are using drugs um, with syringe services that otherwise wouldn't have had access to them for very little skin off their nose. And, And with very little publicity. They don't publicize that they do this. It's just kind of incorporated into their systems. And, and so that's what I'm really trying to get agencies to do. They don't have to be like Mindy and go, go gung-ho and 
do this whole program, they can incorporate harm reduction concepts and syringe services into their existing programming. And I often tell people, you can be involved in a syringe exchange with never touching a syringe and never mm-hmm. actually giving out a syringe. Right. It's about providing many of those other services. And we do have some good partners with some of our local health departments and um, clinics and substance treatment facilities. Um, we have a lot of great partners that, that are a part of it without actually doing mm-hmm. exchange. Um, but my hope is in another three years, you'll have me back and I'll tell you about our 10 to 12 <laughs> exchanges around the state. So Yeah, that would be my hope or too. Or 20 or 25. Yeah, or 20 or 25, honestly. We'll take because it. How do people and all of our direct funding that we're getting to support them. Right. And so how do people find you and the Times and... As Tyler mentioned, um, the Utah Harm Reduction Coalition has a website, and they post every day, basically, that they're out, where they're going to be, what their services are, um, how they can find them. It's, again, kind of like a food truck. Um, You check that out. Um, People can also email syringeexchange at utah.gov, and I can let them, I can send them a schedule. Mm -hmm. We usually, um, and that's for all the providers. and they can also visit utahharmreductioncoalition.org, onevoicerecovery.org, or utahaids.org. Mm. Um, so we're also working on a... And there are, some of these are on... One Voice is on Facebook a lot. Yep, they have quite a presence too. on Yeah, they do. Yeah, so yeah. Um, a tiny bit of Googling, and you can find it. Um, we're working on getting a... Just remember the population we're talking to. I mean, most many of them have phones and they have the ability to They may to or they may that, not. They and that's may kind not. of the challenge. And that's part of the reason, though, why places like Utah Harm Reduction Coalition, it's people just learn, okay, they're on Thursday afternoon at this time, they're going to be at this place. And, and the they word learn goes that. Out. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of word of mouth. Yeah. Um, but I always say if you have any questions about syringe exchange, whether as a provider, as a family member, as um, someone who is using, somebody who's interested in the services, someone who wants to volunteer, just email me at syringeexchange at utah.gov and I'll connect you with one of our providers or um, some information and we can go from there because that's, again, really my job. I don't do the actual exchange. I just try to help connect people. We're working on getting a website, but again, I have no funding, no support. Um, God bless you for, <laughs> for the things you're doing. So, and, and so you should, you, if, if, so I'll, I'll say it if you're not going to. So if anyone out there that uh, would like to provide some web services, you would be grateful for that. Is that what sure. you're saying? Yes. Social media service. I was trying yesterday and I'm just young enough to use social media and know it and get it, Mm -hmm. but I'm too old to really know how to use it (laughs) for anything other than scrolling through and seeing my friends' (laughs) vacation photos. Pressing like. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) I'm not, I don't quite have that brain. and, um, And also, one of the things that, one of the harm reduction concepts is involving people who are using or or um, in recovery as part of your programming and to direct your programming. I'd love to have, um, it, which is also a problem. Right. We all know people who are using drugs are not often the most reliable people in the world. What? Um, what? <laughs> I mean, no judgment. It's just kind of a fact, and that's not a blanket statement either because I've also met some really dedicated people who are not in chaotic use who are able to be really... Um, reliable, but 
Um, I have a question. Do organizations like USARA team up with you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. So they're a great partner. And yeah. and that's a lot of the things, too, is there's great agencies. There's great services. And it's sometimes just people being aware of them and connected to them. Um, also, I'd like to say this is a big plug. I should have thought of this. 211, the phone number. Right. Yeah. Um, we've been working with them over the past few months to get them trained on harm reduction and on... Um, brief substance use assessment mm-hmm. so that they can make referrals to treatment and services, but also to syringe exchange services. So, so is 211 now operating for, yep. for... So if people call 211, they should be able to access all of our services um, and get information on all that's, of our services. That's so, a lot easier. That's, yeah. yeah, you know, having that central place and yeah. that can connect them to USARA, can connect them to Utah Harm Reduction Coalition, can connect them. Obviously, 211 does a lot more than substance services, but... Um, we're really glad to, they've been really willing to educate themselves and their staff so that they can provide those services and recognize that they're not there to provide counseling services, but you know, oh, you're in crisis. Let's refer you over here. Sure. Um, those types of things. So, um, and it's then a starting, it's a they, starting point. It's yeah. obviously not going to be everything, but th- this, because we're looking at something specific today. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that those listeners out there and, and the people that they know and their families, that they have an access and a resource if that's e- that is yep. that easy to connect with. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, they're really great. And the people I met there are really great and really dedicated and really want to help. And they and sometimes, yeah, it's even with Google, even with whatever, trying to know who to call and where. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you need to call for emergency... You want to call the police, but you don't want to call 911 because you don't want to clock up 911. I mean, I now know the number to call just the police department, mm-hmm. but many people don't. So they just call 911. <laughs> um, so that's what's great kind of about 211 is it's okay. That's what they're there for is you call that number and then they'll connect you with the other resources right. that you need. Okay. All right. I'm sort of... Just to, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the concept that, you know, we get five billion, you know, uh, there's a, a huge grant for specifically treating the opioid epidemic. Are you talking about the block grant money? Yes, TR okay. money. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. And, you know, there's going to be another large. Uh, pile of dosh once the once the Purdue folks get uh, skinned mm-hmm. um, and we get a it, little bit of that none of it winds up in we get a little bit of that we get a couple yeah I don't even know how much so I couldn't say but we, we get a little fraction of it and like I said we're kind of we're piecemealing we've got a little HIV money a little opiate overdose money a little bit of hep C, you know, all these little pieces. Um, but it's interesting because people super sketch. And we can't use any federal money, which all of that is, to purchase syringes. Why? Because that is the federal law. So in 2015, wow. um, it used to be that you couldn't use any federal money to support syringe exchanges at all. In 2015, um, President Obama um, signed a thing saying, rolling that back to the point of saying you can support syringe exchange with everything but the syringes, <laughs> which 
which is <laughs> kind of a critical fact. We'll take it. We'll take it because it's something. So, so we can educate you. We can. I get it. Right. You can educate. And, and really, the syringes, yes, they're an expensive part, but they're only a part. And you can operate a syringe exchange um, if, we're, if we can support the personnel and all the other supplies and testing kits and all of those things that right. um, for somebody in naloxone and all of that. But then um, the syringes, that has to be state or private money. It just can't be federal. So we're facing that those types of restrictions, but too. I mean, it's ludicrous that... I mean, my understanding is that needle exchange programs roughly cut HIV new infection rates in half. And hep C by even more, because hep C rates amongst people who inject drugs is, you know, anywhere from, we see about 30% um, in our exchanges. For people who test positive in our exchanges, that doesn't count people who are already positive. Um, but in prisons um, and people in treatment, um, amongst people who use drugs in general, it's closer to 60 to 70%. That's a huge number. Um, and hep C is now curable. Right. Um, and there's a whole politics about that that I won't get into. But you can buy a lot of rigs for the amount that it costs to it's cure like one ninety thousand exactly. dollars to cure somebody. In fact, you might have enough rigs probably for the whole state for at least a week or two. Yeah, and sometimes that's that's the way that we get to people. Some people are, you know, compassionate love, and some people are money dollars. Whatever, whatever it takes to get through to people, but. Um, but it is interesting because, like I said, a lot of the attitude that I've gotten and criticism is, well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you solving these problems? And I'm like, you gave me zero money. And wait, wait. But, but <laughs> that, <laughs> you're just supposed <laughs> to figure that out. It's not going to solve the problem. No. Exactly. I mean, it's going to help decrease yes, certain aspects certain of the problem of it. and certain so, symptoms of the problem. But so, it's not A, they want the us problem. to solve all the problems, and B, they want us to do it for no money. Yeah. So, there you go. All right. Bless you for the work that you do. I mean, honestly, really, really impressive. And um, it's great that you're in the community and really admire what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks. Glad to be here. What else you got today, Tyler? Anything else you want to share about all this? You know, um, I saw this really handsome uh, jerk present at the fall conference for substance abuse. Uh, <laughs> I think I heard about that. You hear about that? Oh, yeah. On, about on that. all of this stuff. And I think uh, Doc at that time said, it's not how I got sober, mm-hmm. but if we can keep a few more people around for a few more days, mm-hmm. why wouldn't we look at it? Sure. And I think it gets, it gets so... Um, misconstrued into so many areas and yes it is evolving treatments evolving cares evolving and it's going in a good direction but we're losing people in the meantime and i think yeah anything we can do to to curtail that and and have some people that we love you know be here tomorrow i think i think we need to look at and this is instead of looking how we can work with harm reduction programs they just dismiss harm reduction altogether and the the science behind it is there there's so many countries where they've done this and adopted it and it's right it's it's if 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 anyone is curious about their this you know there's a book by gabor mate called in the realm of hungry ghosts (laughs) and he's a a physician and and did a lot of time in uh, palliative care 
uh, and he just he just lays it out and it's just beautifully written and done and and uh, you know the end of it really is you know can we can we help some people that that may not deserve the help Mm -hmm. but as a society we should we should still help them and that's the one thing i run into in jail and now i have the opportunity to go back into the prisons and talk and Mm -hmm. and there's so many people you guys with so much trauma right and there's so much trauma that was brought on by being uh financially unstable having parents that were addicts and having childhoods that we shouldn't allow people to have to some degree. And then we throw them in a system where uh, we're going to give you a scarlet letter. We're going to restrict where you live. We're going to restrict the jobs you can get. And once you get out, we're going to give you fines and fees in excess of whatever. And, and we're going to tell you good luck. And I think as a society, we just have to take a look at all that stuff because we're just setting this, this system up. I mean, Paul, you said earlier, we, we lost the war on drugs. I mean, we did. <laughs> well, it's, been, it's become a war on addicts. I mean, yes. it's not really a war on drugs anymore. It, you know, as long as there's a consumption problem, it'll get here. Yeah, and we're punishing people that are already in pain. I mean, the, yeah. the whole... Mm-hmm. I, I, was, uh, I grew up uh, in a wonderful LDS family, had wonderful parents. My mom passed away um, when I was on an LDS mission. Mm-hmm. And... I, you know, I came home. I, I didn't know to have therapy. My family's wonderful athletes, wonderful people. The one mm-hmm. thing we can do is put our heads down and work a little harder. And I was great at that yeah. until my cup was so full and there were so many feelings and there were so many issues I had with relationships and my mom being gone that I started using. And the second I started using, it was that warm blanket of relief of my troubles that I couldn't find anywhere else and i went to cirque lodge and spent a whole bunch of money and didn't listen to anything uh (laughs) that was there because i was i was uh um i was the new guy in with all the old guys i was the low risk in with all the high risk guys and all it did was give me some access to some different ways to hide and do drugs and do all this stuff and so the next thing i know i'm i'm uh robbing and stealing and homeless and all these crazy things and and end up in in prison and in prison was blessed to have some wonderful therapists and some wonderful (laughs) treatment and some wonderful care um but but that was unique in that i got a chance to be in the conquest program and 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 all the things that happened there so i think you know, if, if people can have access to treatment and have access to good care and have access to good people, uh, like Johan says, and have access to connection, this is a solvable mm-hmm. problem for us. If you can walk in off the streets to a needle exchange, Paul, as you said, and, and you know, maybe you're not going to quit that day, but at least it'll be a clean needle. Yeah. And at least you've got somebody saying, hey, if you want to talk, right. yeah. there's a group tonight at, from 7 to 9, come right. back. Right. I think there's more of a way to to do it than to you know and it's so easy to see us when we're in active addiction as being uh villains and predators Mm -hmm. and the reality is is that this is an extremely vulnerable group of people um and at the end of the day society is judged based on how it treats its most vulnerable and uh we're doing a disgraceful job and and jail is for people you know 
we're mad at right now it needs to be for people we're scared of and those are those are two different very different good way to put it things i mean we have people that are in pain and have trauma and have no other way to treat that than to use drugs that society as a society we're providing i mean i can't tell you how easy it was for me to access oxycontin and being a, a former athlete and fake a couple injuries and talk to a couple doctors and and I was in like Flynn and, and I have all the precursors for addiction and and it, it took hold of me and, and, and ran me, you know, rampant for about a decade. Yeah. But on the other side of it, we have all these wonderfully talented, kind people that maybe just need to sit down with a therapist like I did that tells you, Hey, you know, be okay. And yeah. you might be able to go get a master's degree at the end of this. You you won't get into BYU, right? But right. you'll be able to go get a master's degree. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and maybe you don't want to. <laughs> but I found I found that incredibly entertaining that they'd let me in, and and I'm excited to yeah. to do that. And and it's it's fun on this end, but. It, it really is a, a societal thing that we've created on our own and, yeah. and without a lot more funding and help. And I mean, Mindy Vincent, you know, Paul's did this out of the goodness of her own heart and, and her out of her own pocket. Mm-hmm. And we need to fund some of these mm-hmm. things. We need to figure out how to, you know, do treatment differently so we can have better success rates and, and save more people. So Yeah, definitely agree. Well, and not to say that everybody should traipse down to a syringe exchange because we also want to support the dignity and confidentiality of people who use them. However, I think that there is some value. There is some value in, um, you know, I often tell people, if you're going to do this work, you need to at least go down to an exchange, at least be there, maybe go down to volunteer and support, go volunteer for a couple months. Um, because it will, it will open you up to the beauty of how it works and how really simple it is and how um, a little bit of love, compassion, understanding, and just plain old lack of judgment mm-hmm. um, really has such a positive effect. Like you were saying, somebody who's a jerk or someone who's addicted, get, you know, bullying them does not make either one of those things any better. Right. Um, and it's, it's really quite a beautiful thing. So, um, if you're looking to, you look like you're wrapping us up. Kind of. Okay. But I've got a couple more little short things. I'll just say a, a few last words um, for me is just to say, um, educate yourself. Realize that this is a, a public health, a public, it's, it's a community issue. It's yeah. about all of us. Yes. It's a community There's a issue. lot of, um, we all know somebody who, um, or ourselves who have um, addiction issues, who've been affected by um, addiction one way or another, but we still tend to say, well, but at least I'm not that person, but to say that we're all that person and we're all affected by this. And, and like you said, we're, it's how we treat the people who are in most need and most vulnerable in our society. And if we can, the most pain, and if we can help them and at least at the very least, not hurt them any further, mm-hmm. um, that, that's something that we can all do and that's something that benefits us all sure well uh, so i'll just go ahead and throw another uh, iron in the fire if we (laughs) just because i like that um but if we knew how to do that well you know we wouldn't you know we wouldn't put we wouldn't treat 
people that are seeking asylum here in this country, we I would was going to make that, that comment, are, that but are, didn't. They are that are in a lot of pain. Yeah. We wouldn't do what we do to them either. Right. This, and so I, whether you agree in the, with the politics or not, we treat the most vulnerable with a lot of pain. I mean, that are in pain, we treat them with a lot more pain. And that's not a sign. That you said something about the Scarlet Letter, which I wanted to. I think that's such a big point. When people get labeled that way, that, that and that they're identified as the problem, right. it's all of a sudden. Well, there's the solution: is don't take care of the, that kind of problem that way, because the people are the problem, and you can't change that. You can't fix that right. because it's something that feels like that's out of control. So that's probably what I mean. We we I mean I think just from a philosophical point of view, this is, you know, part of our culture at this point is wanting to pass the problem on to somebody we else. We want to pathologize to be victims everything. of something else, and that's as big a problem as, as the drugs, if it if is. not more. That's so. right. And and understanding two and a half years in prison, I was so ashamed of everything I'd done because yeah. I was raised by good people. I never called home once. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that level of, of pain. Right. And, and, and the disconnection. And the disconnection. Right. I didn't want to call home and, you know, because I, of I the didn't shame. want to bother yeah. them. Because something was wrong with me. So I get that. that there. Which takes us all back to why we need to have, you know, have connection and community. Right. And we need to be able to reach out and not do our best not to label and put that scarlet letter on people because of their pain. All right. Robert, Heather, Tyler, thank you so much. What a discussion this has been today. Real pleasure. We'll come yeah. back and we'll come back in sometime in the future yeah. and, re and revisit this and uh, and have some fun with it. Yeah. Um, again, as usual, it's one of those topics that for some reason it's not going away. Right. So hopefully we can, you know, bring more good news next thank time. You, about this. Thank you for having right. us today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks, yeah, guys. Thank you. All right. Um, you guys don't know this, but we go out with a song and the same song every uh, every episode. Do we get to sing it this I was time. Say, are we performing? <laughs> if it you or? if you would love to, no, it'll it'll play in the background. But uh, it's a, yeah, that's fine. but you you can. But Robert, you know, I'll bring my guitar next time, and we can we can actually play it and I'd sing like to it. Hear yeah, that. yeah, yeah. All right, we'll go out as we always do with little Joan Osborne. Thank you. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.